everybody. Um, this week, I'm here with both my coworker, Molly, as well as a new guest this week, Kelly, who actually used to work at Freedom. So it's kind of cool. Now we're full circle. Um, definitely something that's not directly related to PT anymore, but it's something super different. Kelly, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us, especially on a Friday. No problem. Kelly, tell us, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do now. Um, well, actually your connection with freedom too. Let's start there. Sure. Yeah. So I am from Wisconsin originally. Um, I'm from Cedarburg, so pretty close by. And um, after undergrad, I was, had graduated with my bachelor's in science education and I really was thinking about going to um, grad school for something. Um, I had dabbled in orthotics and prosthetics as an intern um, prior to working for Freedom, but I just definitely wanted to get some more clinical hours and see if PT was potentially the, the route for me. So after graduating with my senior year of college, I came and worked as a PT aide at Freedom for about six months. It was awesome. I got lots of um, clinical experience, which is I'd still use things that I've learned at Freedom in my job now, um, but my job title now is I am a certified prosthetist orthotist, and I'm working at a private prosthetics clinic down in Athens, Georgia called Shamrock Prosthetics. Um, and basically, I build and treat patients who have amputations or limb differences, and I build prosthetics for them, um, and I do a little bit of orthotic work, um, but I am a certified orthotist as well and can make those. How many years of uh, graduate school is that? So it depends. There are only, I think there's, we're up to 15 um, master's programs specifically in orthotics and prosthetics, which is a requirement to be a CPO. Um, I went to Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and my entire program was two and a half years. We have 12 months of didactic school year in Houston, Texas on campus. And then we have 18 months of clinical rotations, which Baylor does a little bit differently than most schools, where we are completing a residency in both disciplines of orthotics and prosthetics simultaneously. Most schools do a year of each, and then you can sit for your exams after each one. Um, but for Baylor, we do this really unique rotating residency program where I lived in, let's see, five different states in those two and a half years and got to rotate through all different types of clinics to learn how multiple people do things for both orthotics and prosthetics. And then I got to sit for my board exams after that. Okay. How did you even, I feel like this is such a unique um, niche of healthcare. How did you even find out about uh, this in general? Yeah, it's definitely something that I really didn't see myself doing ever. Um, I, it was kind of a chance encounter. I, you know, being an athlete, I played college volleyball. I've played sports my whole life. I have been treated by orthotists in the past and just not really realized it. When I tore my ACL, I had, you know, an unloader knee brace that I utilized. Um, didn't really realize that that was in orthosis at the time, but now that I am certified in orthotics, I now know that I was treated by an orthotist. Um, but in college, I kind of just went to play volleyball. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was a business major for my first two years and I had the opportunity to attend a military with one of my family friends kind of last minute, just needed a date. And I borrowed a dress and headed out to the University of Dayton, Ohio. And one of the officers was walking around and, you know, introducing himself to all the dates and all the guests of honor. And he hiked up his pants leg and was like, guys, check this out. And he showed me his new below knee prosthesis and was telling me how he got to play basketball again for the first time since his amputation a couple of years prior. And I was like, man, I can't imagine like 
kind of having my identity as an athlete being stripped away from me if it was something I was super involved in. It's different than an injury. Like it's it's a whole loss of a limb. So that just that yeah. encounter stuck out to me. I was like, someone has to want to help people. Someone has to know how to build things. Someone has to, you know, know healthcare and the human body and the science and biomechanics. And I was like, man, those are all things that I actually really love. And so two weeks later, after coming back from the military ball, I went to my campus like education help center and I changed my major and the rest was history. Wow. So like day to day, what is your day to day job like? Yeah. So orthotics and prosthetics, what a lot of people don't know is that we work kind of like a pharmacy is how I explain it to people. So a doctor has to write a prescription and it can be as specific or as vague as they need it to be. Usually it says evaluate and treat for an orthosis or evaluate and treat for a prosthesis unless they have a very specific type that they want us to do. A lot of times they just leave it open for our expertise, which is wonderful, but it totally depends. Um, a patient will bring that prescription to us. Once we have the prescription, we're allowed to treat them. Prior to that, we really can't, we can't do anything. That's just how it is. You can't do anything without a prescription. Then okay. um, if we're seeing a new patient, we have to do kind of a full initial evaluation. And this is where kind of a lot of things that I learned in PT came in. So um, a lot of this is where our job kind of overlaps is through this initial evaluation is I do range of motion, manual muscle testing, special ligamentous integrity tests, um, sensitivity and neuromuscular, things like that. A lot of my patients are like TBIs or spinal cord injuries or things like that. And when you have um, like neuropathic patients, which are a lot of our vascular diabetic patients, we have to like, know about the sensitivity and the circulation. And so we really have a full full anatomical and fit, like anatomy and physiology background. That's part of our, of our job description. So we do kind of that. We do an intake form. Um, and then from there, we decide a treatment plan, um, whether it be starting off with some compression therapy to help with limb and volume shaping. Um, and then we kind of let them go through that process, especially with the vascular patients who suffer from a lot of fluctuation then we get to decide what they need. So we will prescribe or we will justify or recommend all these different prosthetic components. And there are hundreds and thousands of components that we um, can pick from. Um, there are a couple main like styles of prostheses that we tend to use that we find successful, but I basically build one and then I send it to insurance if they have insurance and insurance says, yep, we will cover X amount or yes, it's all paid for or no, come back and try again. We don't think that they need this, which is battling insurance is unfortunately a lot of what we do. But once we get approval, um, I basically just get to start building it. I'll cast the patient over their residual limb. I'll modify the mold and then I'll fit them with practice sockets, make sure it fits well, and then hopefully get them up and walking within a couple days of casting. So it's pretty fun. Yeah. Oh my God. How does, how does like the insurance interaction work? I mean, like with us, especially with like, um, like right now I'm doing a lot more, uh, jaw treatment and sometimes insurance is like, no, we're not paying for that. I mean, I feel like the prosthesis is not a cosmetic enhancement for these people. It's a, uh, life, um, quality improvement. I mean, how does that argument quote unquote, really go or what is the process? Yeah. You would think that a patient without a limb would be considered like it would be considered a medical necessity. Um, a lot of insurances 
seem to think otherwise, which is pretty frustrating. Um, a lot of times we really can't get patients what we really want to put them in because insurance just won't cover it. Um, because they, they are just like, no, they can have something else. Yeah. So there's what we use is a, um, it's called a K level system. And the K level system is basically um, just, it's a classification system from K zero to K four. And it classifies amputees into their potential to ambulate at a certain cadence or at a certain level. So you have K zero, which are people who will not be utilizing a prosthesis. They're a non-candidate. You have K ones who are just utilizing it for transferring from maybe bed to wheelchair. K2s are your everyday community ambulators. K3s can ambulate at a variable cadence. And then K4s are like children and athletes. So we utilize that K-level system to also classify componentry in terms of knees and feet. Um, And there are tons of different feet styles and knee styles that are classified for like K2 patients, K3 patients, K4 patients. So we stick within the domain of the K-level always. But even then, sometimes the insurance is like, well, maybe you can use a less expensive one within the K, the K level and it would be better for them. So there really are some fine lines when it comes to insurance. Um, it's it's a checks and balance system. They want to make sure that you're being honest with your care, which is great. But occasionally we are just fighting them for basic needs, unfortunately. The joys of insurance, I think, with all healthcare. I mean, yeah. they're just and good at what they do, but sometimes obviously it hinders, you know, I think what we can do as practitioners a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So do you guys have a certain demographic of patients that you see at your clinic or is it any um, person that's a, a candidate for a prosthesis? Um, it kind of depends. And a lot of it depends um, based on like regionally or like how far you are from a major city. I was just telling Molly how, um, in our clinic, we see a lot of like dysvascular and diabetic amputees. That's just very common. We're kind of in a small town. There's, there's not like, I don't know, major highway systems. Like when you shift over to Atlanta, where we have another clinic here at Chamrock, we have a, we see a lot of trauma patients because there's level one trauma center there. Um, just a lot of work accidents, things like that. We do have a lot of those still down here in Athens. We have a lot of farming accidents, car accidents, motorcycle accidents are common, but the majority of most prosthetics clinics will be diabetic patients unless they are specifically a pediatric clinic where that's usually congenital or traumatic. So when I was working in the children's hospital, obviously our demographic is is children, but most of our amputees were congenital or it's not necessarily limb loss, but limb difference. Okay. How did you get, um, or let me even back up. How far is Athens from Atlanta? About an hour to an hour and a half. If you, if you don't have traffic and then it can get a little bit a little bit shifty in there, but our, we just opened a brand new clinic in Atlanta. It is beautiful and it is serving many, many patients, which is super exciting for our company. And you said that you guys are a private practice company. We are. Yep. We are eight years old now. I think I've been here for about nine months, um, but we had, have just expanded into our Atlanta clinic. So we have two clinics now. Is that pretty common for your field, private practice clinics? Cause I feel like when I picture or even when they teach you in PT school, it's like, all right, this this person needs um, a prosthesis in the hospital. Whenever they do it, someone's just going to come in and fit you for it. Here it is. You're going to do a little physical therapy maybe, and then you're just out the door. 
Yeah, it's very, it's, I think it's very different. And I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's educated quite correctly from what I've heard to other um, interdisciplinary healthcare practitioners, which actually was my entire master's thesis was basically, do we as orthotists, prosthetists, physical therapists, physicians, um, kind of that whole healthcare team that generally works together, do we even really know what each other does? Um, no. And kind of, yeah, we don't. And so that was my master's thesis. And the answer, the answer did show that is people really don't know what we do. Um, and there's, that means that we're either overlapping care unnecessarily, or we're leaving gaps in patient care. So that's, that's my master's thesis. We can talk about that another time, but it's true. Um, I don't think that, that PTs are really know what we do. That's totally a generalization, but I notice that a lot when I send patients to PTs, they're like, I don't really know how to address any of this. Um, it's very common. So um, that's that's definitely something that I'd like to work on in my career is just education between the interdisciplinary healthcare teams. Um, as for kind of clinic, um, there's you probably know about like hanger clinic is kind of the main the main overarching corporate clinic. They're very widely known, um, but then you'll start finding kind of these little private clinics here and there too. Now there are also veterans hospitals. So the VA sometimes has in-house prosthetics and orthotics clinics. Hospitals sometimes have in-house clinics. So they're all kind of different, different types and everybody practices a little bit differently, but it's all with a prescription and then they all kind of go from there. Do you feel like speaking of interdisciplinary, I mean, I do think, I talk about this all the time with people. I think there's a huge gap with so much healthcare in general because healthcare is so in depth as well. It's just the inherent consequence that we, it's hard to know what everyone does. Do you feel like working at Freedom before um, you became what you are now has helped you kind of have a better idea of where to potentially send patients after you do your job, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. And so kind of our our restrictions in care are kind of where the PTs kind of need to pick up immediately. So like I said, if you go and look through the American Board of Certification for Orthotics, Prosthetics, and Pedorthics, if you look on their website, you can find the scope of practice, the written document of what orthotists and prosthetists are certified to do. A lot of that is what PTs do, but there also is a line when it comes to like gait training um, and just muscle strengthening that we are just not really built to do. I kind of tell people that, so all prostheses have to be custom. They are all custom made specific to specifically to the patient for a number of reasons, but mostly because every amputation is different. Every patient's needs are different, kind of that situation. But I tell people that I'm going to build them a tool and I'm going to make sure that the tool fits them and that it functions appropriately and that they are well-educated on how to utilize the tool. They can choose when to use it, but PTs are going to get them strong enough to use it. So I, I will send every single patient I can to PT prior to their, or if we can, prior to the implementation of their prosthesis. So we can do pre-prosthetic training, balance, strengthening, stretching, because a lot of what we end up dealing with is contractures, which makes prosthetic care harder. Um, and then obviously it's like, you guys deal with contractures too. They're not fun. And it takes a long time to get them back if they even can get back. But then I also will heavily, heavily lean into sending someone to physical therapy for prosthetic training once I deliver the prosthesis to them. 
So I think it is super important. I mean, we see the same the same weakness. We see core, hip, medial lateral knee instability are like kind of the the top top three, um, along with contractures and upper limb weakness when they're sitting in chairs. We just we see the same things over and over and over again. And if I can get them to someone prior to delivery of their prosthesis, I think we can avoid a lot of that too. How does the like whole process work of getting a prosthesis? I guess now that you know we're talking about physical therapy too, and hence Molly and I are physical therapists. But are you like if I get a prosthesis, I go to physical therapy? Do I then check back in with you and be like, all right, you know, I feel stronger. Here's my gait now, or my gait impairments now. Maybe it's too loose or too small. Or is it once you give it, it looks good, and then they are kind of out the door. No, like if you're my patient, you're stuck with me. I mean, unfortunately, what I tell patients is we're not salamanders. We can't grow our limbs back. So um, I also let them know that bodies change. Sometimes it can change from hour to hour, day to day, from year to year. I'm going to be a part of their care team as long as they let me. Um, So they'll come in, say we have a brand new amputee. They're going to come in. We'll just kind of go step by step. They'll come in. Um, once their suture line is healed and the doctor gives me the okay to proceed, I will fit them with what we call a shrinker. It's a compression garment. And especially for our diabetic or dysvascular patients who experience a lot of um, volume fluctuations, we want to get them as consistent as possible. So we do a lot of education on diet, water, sodium, you know, heat, basically all of the things that can affect limb volume changes. But we put them in a good compression garment to not only shape, but also to push that extra fluid out and keep it consistent. Because once we put them in a socket, we want to minimize that volume fluctuation. We have a hard socket. It's not going to move with the patient's leg. We can give them some things to adjust if they were to shrink, um, but we can't make it a hard socket bigger. So we want to get them as stable as we can before we start making that socket. Usually we do about two to three weeks in the shrinker, and then we go ahead and get them in for a casting. So we'll fit them with um, this appropriate sized gel liner that will always go on their skin first that protects it from forces and abrasions and things like that. Then we cast them with plaster um, and we take a shape of their limb. And then it's like paper mache, which is kind of fun. That's, this is where the art comes into our field, which is so fun. It's very hands-on. Um, We actually have a fully functional lab, which is what I'm sitting in right now. We have a massive lab back here um, where we fill that cast with liquid plaster that hardens. So then I suddenly now have the shape of their limb. I take that outer outer shell off and I suddenly have the shape of their limb. Um, Now in school, we learn about all these different biomechanical principles of what needs to be happening inside the socket to make them comfortable, to make sure they're not weight bearing on the cut end of a really sensitive bone. Um, There's a lot of different ways to do this part. But I basically kind of use like a cheese grater and I I mold that plaster while it's soft to apply forces where I want them to be. Then we pull a thermoplastic clear check socket over it. We heat this big disc of thick plastic up to like 400 degrees and we form it with a vacuum. So it seals to that exact shape that I've created. Cut it out, smooth all the edges and connect it to the foot or to the knee and then to the foot. And then we put it on the patient. Um, and we see what it looks like from the outside in, and then we start getting feedback from the patient. So I always tell patients, there's a reasoning for everything I do, but I'm not the one wearing it. So there are a couple of things that I need to have done to make sure that I'm keeping you safe. But if you're in pain or you're having any pressure, that's what I need to know about because in this plastic phase, I can make changes. 
Once we have them walking and comfortable, then we can go to the final one, which is where I take that plastic socket and any changes I made, and I basically just replicate it, pour it up with plaster again, take that exact shape, and we do another like vacuum form, but with layers of like durable materials, carbon fiber, nye glass, nylon. And then we make this really durable light socket that fits their leg specifically. And then we attach all the componentry and that's the one that they get to take home. That's the durable one. That's their everyday walker. And then after that, we see them for follow-ups. So I see them probably every week or two for the first month. And then as they start getting more consistent in their education of how to utilize their prosthesis and how to adapt to change, I'll space out their appointments. But as patients get stronger, their walk is going to change and the alignment of the prosthesis probably needs to be adjusted. And I mean, we have we have tools everywhere because we are like working from a toolbox for these appointments. We're turning screws, we're rotating the foot, we're rotating the knee, we're grinding the edges of the socket. So that's where it gets really hands-on and really mechanical. And then that's that's how we continue care until they need a new one, which happens anywhere from six months to three years. So we kind of just repeat the process every couple of years. How, how long does it take you like to shape and essentially play with the, the mold? Yeah. To so make we, sure that, yeah. We have like we work 24 seven. Just, yeah, we, just doing all stuff. It seems like a long process. We, we do things. Uh, something about this clinic that I love is that we do things based on a lot of research and a lot of repeatability because it's successful. Um, and as a new clinician, that's been extremely helpful for my learning. Um, there's We're reducing as many variables as possible and having great success with what we're doing. Um, we give ourselves probably like 30 minutes to an hour usually doesn't normally take that long, depending on the patient, but we have kind of this modification down to a science as to what is going to benefit each patient, each style of limb. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, we can we can go from casting to fitting a, prosth- a clear plastic prosthesis in a couple hours. Oh, wow. So it's really fast. And it depends. There are some patients that we usually book people out a couple days afterwards, just depending on the patient's needs. There are some very specific types of prostheses where we want to get them in the socket same day to keep their limb the, sh- the same size. Prosthetics is so variable. Every single practitioner you meet is going to do things differently. That's just part of the part of the practice. When it's something so hands-on, there's always going to be variability. So does every practitioner, do you guys kind of find your body region that you like the most and specialize in, so to speak, or is it kind of the whole body? Yeah. I mean, we, we mainly do extremities. You can have patients or you can have practitioners who specialize in like mastectomy prosthetics or facial prosthetics or cosmetic prosthetics. Those are like their own set of certifications. Um, but at our clinic, everybody does upper limb and everybody does lower limb. We have, we have a, a good patient base, upper limb, um, amputees are just not that common. They're not as common as lower limb amputees. Um, in our clinic, because of just our history of working with upper limb amputees, of being close to trauma centers, of working with a lot of workman's comp patients, we do see a lot of upper limb for a prosthetics clinic, which is very, very interesting. And I've loved being a new clinician and getting in on these partial hand amputations and transradial and transhumeral. It's been super interesting. Now, once the limb is made and you, you have it like, okay, this is what, uh, 
this is what we want to do. This is what we're going to go with. How long is that process to actually get it made and then get it on the, on the patient themselves and get them walking out the door, so to speak? Yeah, we, it really depends. We keep things as streamlined and as, as quick as we can within both reason and also patient safety and making sure that their skin and their body is ready for it. Um, we tend to, we tend to make things in house just because we can, we're a fully functioning lab here. So if we, if we cast them day one of week one, I can fit them that same day, potentially with that plastic check socket. I like for them to be in that or, you know, test it for depending on the type of suspension system and the specific patient. Sometimes I'll let them go home in that plastic one, um, with the foot attached, it's all reinforced. It's all safe for them to be in that socket. And then potentially the following week, they'll come back and they'll give me the thumbs up and I'll be good with how it's looking and how their skin's looking and how it's functioning. I could get them the definitive socket within a couple days of that. So depending on the patient, depending on the presentation and depending on kind of the componentry and the style of prosthesis, it could be like a three week process. It could be quicker. It could be longer. It just, it really depends on the patient and it really depends on kind of how your clinic functions. So some people will do it all in a week. Some people will do it in two weeks. Some people will do it within a month. It really totally depends. What do you typically do it in? We, it kind of depends on how fast we can move it through our lab. And again, it's like patients, patients can tolerate things at very different speeds than each other. So if we have an existing patient and we have, we can cast them and fit them same day and it works for their schedule and for ours, I'll send them home for a week on it. Make sure that they're really doing good because the second we go to the definitive one, there are a lot less changes we can make than we can while we're in the plastic one. So we don't like to rush things to where we are just like kind of chasing our tails. It just doesn't make sense to rush things like that. We're still getting the patients walking. We're still getting them with their prosthesis, but we're also being really cognizant of, of patient, you know, ambulation level and their needs. But I, from all the clinics that I've worked in throughout my residency, this is one of, this is probably the most efficient clinic I've ever worked for. It's, it's fabulous to, to get people up and walking same day as being casted is so fabulous. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about like the different experiences you had with like each of your different residencies? Yeah, totally. And all of these clinics are so vastly different, but all provide such great care. So that's the the coolest thing was getting to learn from so many great practitioners and technicians at the same time. The technicians are the folks that work in the lab and the fabrication. As a practitioner, I am trained to do most of the things in the lab, but it's always helpful to have the technicians who can just kind of hammer stuff out as fast as possible while I see patients. So we have a really good thing going, having an in-house lab. Not all clinics have an in-house lab. So some people send them to a central fabrication. Some people send it to a different lab. Um, we could do everything on site here, which also expedites a lot of our, our process. But on top of that, I get to be involved in the fabrication. Our technicians know our patients. So they can come in and look at the limb and be like, oh, I, you know, I know that this patient is either heavier or lighter. So we, we can change up the layup in the definitive and make it a little bit sturdier, a little bit lighter if we need to. So that kind of that kind of process and that integration between technician and, and practitioner is so helpful. But for my residencies, um, I worked out in Colorado for a little bit at a private clinic. Um, they had multiple locations across the U.S., but technically like a smaller corporate clinic. Um, and I saw just a lot of orthotics patients, a lot of ankle foot orthoses, a lot of knee orthoses, a lot of shoe inserts, both diabetic inserts and just kind of like athletic inserts. Um, that was just a really heavy orthotics rotation, which was great. I learned a lot. 
Um, and then my second rotation was at the Shriners Hospital for Children in Salt Lake City. And that was absolutely amazing. We saw everything from baby cranial helmets to um, clubfoot to scoliosis and very unique pathologies and then lots of pediatric prosthetics as well. It was That was so fun. Pediatrics is like its whole different genre from just everyday prostheses. So that's pretty fun. And then I worked out in South Carolina for a little bit at another private clinic and it, it was pretty, pretty evenly split um, prosthetics and orthotics. Um, pretty even. It was a pretty good rotation. I still learned a lot, had an in-house lab, and I got to actually be the technician two days a week. So I learned a lot of hands-on skills while I was there. And then my final clinic was in Schaumburg, Illinois. I was there for six months and very, very heavy orthotics, but very specific and kind of like involved patients. So a lot of spinal cord injuries. I actually ran a pediatric cerebral palsy clinic once a month at the children's hospital. So I saw like 12 or 13 patients in one day and just did all of their orthotic care while they're at the hospital. Um, but also very heavy prosthetics with one of the other proctors that I followed around. So I did about three months orthotics, three months prosthetics while I was there. So I really got such a well-rounded residency, which you don't always see in our field. So I feel like I learned so much and it definitely prepared me for working in a clinic like this. Nice. Uh, my rotation sounds so boring. I just stayed <laughs> close in Wisconsin versus traveling all across the country doing all these cool things. Yeah. And that's very specific to my school right now. So we are considered kind of our own, our own style out of all the 15 schools. Baylor kind of does their own thing, um, which I loved. It worked for me. It definitely does not work for everybody. Some people have families and kids and they need to stay in the same city and you could stay in the same city and rotate through a couple different clinics in the area too. They would totally allow that. I just wanted to live everywhere. I wanted to see where I wanted to potentially find a job. A lot of people in our in my class from my school actually find jobs at previous residency rotations. So they had such a great experience there. They loved them, already have a great relationship and know how the clinic works. And a lot of times they get hired there. So that was that's also something super beneficial. But the other residencies, usually you're you're staying put in one or two clinics. And then you usually do a year of prosthetics and a year of orthotics, vice versa. So that's kind of what they call the traditional residency in our field. How did you end up working where you are now? Because I mean, I feel like you've been all across the country and then, well, now you're now on the opposite end of the country. Let's just go down to Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. So I loved my time in South Carolina. I liked it regionally. I have family down in South Carolina. So I knew that if I was going to come down in this direction, I wanted to kind of be within driving distance of family. Um, but I saw it kind of an ad for, for Shamrock was hiring and I was like, that looks really unique. I much prefer working for a private company. It just kind of aligns with what I what I tend to lean towards. Some people love the corporate level, but I'm really personable. I like to work with kind of the small town style thing. Um, and I loved that they, that they were prosthetics only. Um, I loved orthotics. I had so much fun doing it in residency, but I just... I, I feel like I function so much better with prosthetics. I don't know. I, I like how I like how the process goes, and I love being able to get people up and walking on a on a prosthesis. It's just something I love. Um, like I was telling Molly, we still see orthotic patients, and I will absolutely love seeing them. It does not bother me one bit. But I definitely love love working with with amputees and folks with limb differences. It's just kind of where I where kind of my my bread and butter is. But I saw that Shamrock was 
pretty much primarily prosthetics. And I applied and I came down here for an interview for a couple of days um, and got an offer and accepted it. And I've been down here since January. And it's, it sounds like you've been liking it so far. Yeah, I've been loving it. It's, it's been awesome. So hopefully people will be able to tell just by looking at your face, talking about all this <laughs> stuff. How much you love it. Yeah, I do love it. I love my job and I like where I work a whole bunch. So I've got, we've got really, really good people down here. Do you have any cool stories or anything like that of, of people, patients that you've worked with that, you know, just kind of have a, a cool story about either goals that they were getting to or pre-injury or pre-illness that anything like that? I, I think every day is filled with victory within our walls, which is really cool. Um, I mean, every week we're getting someone up for their first steps, really, which is it's its own experience. It never gets old getting someone out of their wheelchair for the first time in weeks or months or whatever, no matter how old they are, um, kind of what their activity level is, getting someone their independence back probably brings tears to my eyes every time it happens. It's just, I love, I love that. Selfishly, I love that feeling, but selflessly, it is such a cool thing to be a part of, to see these people start to get their mobility back. That's, that's why we do it. Um, I think, I don't know. I have, we have so many unique, wonderful patients that are just so thankful um, for things. Just, you know, this is our job. We do it as a job, but you know, I get to benefit from the happiness of the patients too. I think I had a patient who came to our company from a different provider. She had been with that provider for 12 years and just, she was always in pain and they just couldn't quite get her fitting comfortably. She came in on crutches while wearing her prosthesis after 12 years of being an amputee. She was so tired of being in pain and on crutches. And she just decided she needed to go somewhere else and see if someone else could help her. And, you know, she comes in here and, Sometimes patients don't want to see a brand new clinician. It's just, I totally understand. It's just, I'm a newbie in the field, but I was like, listen, like I'm here for you. I will provide you something great. We will troubleshoot. We will get you, we will get you up and walking. And I put her in that first plastic socket that I made her and she just started sobbing. She said, this is so comfortable. She said, I didn't know that it was possible to walk without pain. And she'd been an amputee for 12 years. That is just such a significantly long time to be in pain with every step that you take. And so we got her in the socket and she is going on family vacations. She's going to the beach. She's going horseback riding. Um, it was just one of those moments where it was like just being that person that could restore her mobility after so long of being in pain. That was, that was so cool. And it's, it's nothing crazy special. It's not a, you know, a Paralympic athlete. This is, you know, a special education teacher who just wanted to be able to stand in her classroom and play with her kids. So that was, that one will always get me. Just, we cried together that day. <laughs> Very cool. She's helping her enjoy more freedom, Molly. <laughs> you got there it. You go. <laughs> um, now, I kind of want to circle back to physical therapy because I feel like thinking back to physical therapy school, because I'm still pretty fresh out. I still remember some things. I feel like we don't even know enough as physical therapists right out of school to provide a deep, a deep enough impact to the almost the level that you would expect fitting this prosthesis that prosthesis. Oh my gosh. <laughs> prosthesis. Um, fitting it 
and then making sure that it that it, it does well enough. I mean, I feel like in PT school now the problem is we have to go through so much information in a short amount of time, but we just glance over it. Is there any advice or wants and needs that you would give a physical therapist when you first refer them to like, Hey, can you make sure you do go through this or whatever it may be? Yes. And I have, I have probably a couple main points, but that I'll, I'll hit. And one of them is your prosthetist knows what they're doing. And there's a reason behind the alignment. There is a reason behind the fit. There is a reason behind the component tree. There's a lot of times where a PT will say something and they're like, oh, that doesn't look right. Or, oh, that doesn't do what I think it's supposed to do. And a lot of times that instills a lot of distrust from the in the patient to us. Um, I'm kind of constantly cleaning up some things that some of our, some PTs have said just in passing um, where they're like, oh, that just doesn't look like it's doing what it needs to do. And then all of a sudden the patient is like, oh my gosh, my leg is not safe or my leg does not fit me right. Or it's not the right leg for me, but we do everything with a purpose and the alignment of the prosthesis and, you know, certain components are so curated to that specific patient and their needs that suddenly I'm having to defend myself to a patient when in fact they were like, you're the expert, you know what you're doing. So a lot of that is like instilling trust in each other. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be like, oh, your PT isn't doing enough hip flexors, hip flexion stretching with you. That's not my area to, to tell them that. Um, so it's a lot of it is knowing that the prosthetists are the decisions that the prosthetist has made are probably done for a reason. Um, the second thing is that prosthetic fit is so specific. And so sometimes I'll see PTs or other healthcare professionals, you know, pedorthists or whoever, like try and cut things and sew things and pad things. And realistically, a lot of times it causes so many more issues and it could compromise the safety of the device. So it's just really understanding that we, we can fix things that the patient is having problems with. So if they are like, man, I'm in pain today, if they come to you and they're doing gait training or strengthening or stretching, and they're like, I'm having a lot of pain on my residual limb inside my socket. It's like, great. Your prosthetist probably knows how to fix it. Let's make sure that we get you in with your prosthetist or make sure you call your prosthetist and let's get you in for an appointment. It's, it's really like, let's, let's trust each other in their jobs. And I, my goal is to never step on a PT's toes ever. As while our jobs overlap a little bit, I will, I will let you make the call on what strengthening they need to do. But at the end of the day, the prosthesis is mine. I've made it for a reason and I can probably fix whatever they're complaining about. So while I, I want to educate PTs and other healthcare professionals on um, you know, if there's some quick fixes, like changing the sock ply that they're in, if they're loose in their socket and adding a sock, but also doing it with discretion and knowing that my education will probably give them more, more kind of autonomy and education and specificity than potentially someone who has not really worked with a lot of prostheses. If that makes I sense. I feel like a lot of that, oh my God, I feel like a lot of that, well, I'm sure uh, I can see it obviously, but goes right back to your thesis. I think healthcare, the, this is a problem that we're finding out is there's so much depth in what we do, but as providers, we really, we generally know the lines of what others can do, 
but we really don't know how far that overlaps. And then we just butt heads because it makes too much sense to uh, connect back and forth just to have open dialogue um, that we, none of us do because all of us are super busy. Um, but even now, some of the things you said, I'm 99.9% positive that if I were to have um, a patient right now that potentially I would go too far without even knowing that I'm stepping on your toes, which yeah, I think we do some accident. Yeah. And that's the thing is that a lot of times it's, it's really out of good intent and it's not, they're not trying to make the patient have distrust in the prosthesis or distrust in me as their, their prosthetist. They're really not. I don't, and I don't think there really ever is malintent, but that's just one of those things like me saying this could potentially prevent you from saying, oh, maybe your toes pointed a little too far out, but I'm not really sure. And then suddenly they're like, oh my gosh, my toes too far out. I don't think I can walk on this. Like it goes from zero to a hundred, you know, they're putting their whole body weight through this. And we talk about how it's not, it's not if an amputee falls, it's when an amputee falls. And that is their biggest fear for almost everybody is falling. So like we are curating this and I'm continually making adjustments for, to it because I want them, I want them to know that I'm, I'm following them and I'm listening to what they're saying to me. So it's, I'm oftentimes still fighting to build that rapport and that trust with patients who are just so cautious, which is absolutely valid. But it's when, when someone accidentally again usually not intentionally accidentally makes a comment that suddenly spirals them back three weeks as into what i was building in trust with them it's like crap it's like why why is this happening to me so i've i've actually been had the opportunity to speak with some physical therapy classes um kind of on this and it's something that i would love to continue to do um so i i have friends who are pts and not not a lot of people work with amputees but knowing that i could have prepared them for building a relationship with both their patient and their prosthetist i think that you know every every little person that i can reach and kind of drop these tidbits of information it we're going to help so many more people and so many more healthcare teams work together I think that's, I think that's one of our weakest points personally as a healthcare organization as a whole from doctors to physical therapists to OTs to dietitians. I think we just do a bad job of communicating back and forth and creating this vision 2020 of just this whole big picture of we're there for the patient. I think we, we spend a lot of time stepping on each other's toes for no reason. Um, and patients I really pick up on that. I mean, I think the cautious behavior is a, a undoing that we do to ourselves as a whole. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think it's, I'm always a work together. You know, we're only as great as the sum of the parts kind of a person. That's maybe just like the team sport athlete in me. But at the end of the day, it, it really travels into, into our professions too. I mean, when we have a mutual patient, we're probably treating them for very different things, but also things that all relate back to each other. We're, we're treating the mind and the body from both PTs and prosthetists, orthotists. We're both treating similar things, but just in different ways. But I, I don't mind that our care overlaps, but we don't want to step on each other's toes. Right. Would, would you recommend, I mean, just out there that like, you know, if a, someone comes into a PT clinic and they're, you know, using a prosthetic or an orthotic or that the PT reach out? I mean, is, or is that something that, you know, in, in the ideal 
world setting that like, hey, I have, you know, so-and-so in the clinic and I noticed that they, you know, have a, this prosthetic, you know, is there like, you know, connecting with each other so that, you know, you can say, well, you know, they, they came in looking like this and this is why I put them this way. And, you know, so that you can be, so that there's understanding between both, you know, you and the PT. Is that something like in the ideal world that, you know, as soon as someone came into their, a PT clinic that they would, you know, have an, at least a, a phone call or some sort of contact with you? I would love that. I give everyone two business cards. I give them my business card for them if they need anything. And if they're in PT or OT, I always give them a business card to give to their therapist. I personally would, I would take an extra 30 minutes of work a day if it meant that I could have some time to communicate with therapists or doctors or caregivers even. We just see so many people kind of just have have kind of an ego about them that don't work in the field in their knowledge and what they think is their knowledge of prosthetics and orthotics. And a lot of times it can just be detrimental for everybody. And I like, if it means a five minute phone call, I mean, I think it was two weeks ago, I had an above knee amputee who went in for physical therapy with a new physical therapist. And he called me and left me a message. And he's like, Hey, I just have a question about how this knee unlocks. It looks like she was struggling with it. And I want to know if it's just her getting stronger or if it's something that needs to be fixed at your next appointment. I am so happy to explain it. I'm happy to talk about what he saw. And I was like, you know what? That probably sounds like something I can fix. I'll call her and I'll get her a follow-up next week and I'll get it fixed. Like it was just as simple as a five minute phone, phone conversation, even if it was nothing. And he was, I was like, oh no, like that is her just needs to get stronger. She needs to practice a little more. At least we know. But then we're on the same page. He's not telling her like, oh, something's broken with the leg. Like, that's why you can't get it to unlock. Like that simple moment of conversation. I got the patient in like two days later, adjusted a a couple tension settings and she was locking it and unlocking it easily. Cool. Very cool. I think that's something too. That's just the unfortunate part of how most clinicians days are set up is it's really hard to get a hold of each other. I wish there was like a, uh, like a blanket time where, Hey, every practitioner has, uh, some sort of break at one to 2 PM central time, Easter time or whatever. If you need to use it for phone calls to communicate back and forth, this is the time yeah. to do it. Or Ideally that would be amazing. I'm also, thankfully I have a work, a work phone, which is a savior for me. So I'm able to really just keep everything in one spot. Everybody gets my work cell phone number. I, I tend to have a really good work-life balance and I just let everybody know that, Hey, like I'll respond to you within 24 hours. If it's on the weekend, I'll have my phone on, but I usually respond within 24 hours, if not right away. And as long as people know that they can reach me, if they need something, I'm, I'm happy to respond to them over the weekend if they need something. So it's, we, we set those boundaries kind of really early so that we're not, we're not having people call us in the middle of the night, but we also, we also teach our patients what things are emergencies, what things they can do themselves at home something that I really believe in is being an educated patient, educating our patients so that they know what they are utilizing. This is something that they have to take home. Like I can't put on their prosthesis for them every day. So if they don't know how to do it on their own and they can't do it on their own, then we have some other things we need to talk about. So I want to give my patients all of the tools to be successful. And if they need to ask me questions or if they forget, which is very common with our geriatric population, then I can, I can talk it through them. I can show them pictures and videos. I can provide them education, but I want them to be autonomous in their care too. Kelly, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. 
Thank you for having me. It's been fun to reconnect. No, this is awesome. It's so cool to see, you know, I, I saw Kelly when she was young and figuring out what she was doing. And now to see, you know, I, I following you just on social media and stuff like that and getting to see kind of you blossom and find a really cool direction in life is, is really cool. Yeah. Well, I loved my time at Freedom. We know that leaving was so hard for me to go to grad school. <laughs> Lots of tears were shed during those last couple of weeks, but Freedom taught me a lot about patient care and working in a, you know, kind of a collaborative clinic, which is what I really searched for in my, in my job search. And I, I feel like I kind of found the freedom of the prosthetics world a little bit, um, feels a little bit like being back there. So I, I really do appreciate and, and I'm very thankful for my time at Freedom. No, we wish you all the best and we hope to continue to see you just out there making a difference in the world. I absolutely will. And I'll definitely swing by if I have time next time I'm in town. Absolutely. Absolutely.